0: tonight to First Kings chapter 19. Thank you, worship team. And then also uh, put your finger there and also open it up to Colossians. First Kings chapter 19 and Colossians 3. First Kings is right before Second Kings. <laughs> You got it. Can I hear an amen? Okay. If you if uh, if you're new, don't feel intimidated. Go to the index right in the beginning. It'll tell you the page number. In my in this Bible, it is page. <laughs> I could say five hundred and seventy-three, but uh, it'd be different in your Bible. Okay. You got it. Well, we've been through. This is our ninth test. We have been, and we have learned about the different tests that every Christian must face. We've learned about the testings in the wilderness, testings of our patience, testing of our motives, testings of failure, testings of discouragement, testings of pride, testings of misunderstanding, and testings of frustration. This is the last test. And I I do want to let you know that starting next Wednesday, We are going to be doing a new series all the way through the end of August. And it's actually going to be called Movie Night. And so we're going to be seeing movies. And uh, we're going to be seeing what we can glean from movies. And I'm not talking Christian movies. I'm talking secular movies. Sometimes we go to the movies and we just sit there and we enjoy them. But we don't receive everything that God wants to uh, show us. I mean, we've got a lot of different movies. I know one of the movies that I'm going to be covering. No, I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) You got to come. But we will be seeing a lot of different movies because I'm doing several different movies. And then uh, Will is doing a movie and Toby's doing a movie. But I think I'm doing like three movies. So all the way to the end of August, it's going to be movie night. So we want you to come and be a part of being able to see what God can show you and how you can change through a movie, any kind of a movie, there's always something to learn, okay? So, First Kings, oh, tonight's uh, the ninth test, and this is called the servant test. The servant test. First Kings chapter 19, <coughs> we're going to read from verse 19 to 21. And it reads like this, so Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field with a team of oxen. There were 11 teams of oxen ahead of him, and he was plowing with the 12th team. Let me just stop right here and let me let let you know something. Elisha was plowing the field, and there were 11 teams. Do you know how big a team is? A team of six. There was 11 teams ahead of him. He had the 12th team. He was in the back of 11 teams ahead of him. How do you think Elijah looked? What do you think he had been stepping in? He was at the back of the bus. He was way back there. Do you know who you throw at the back of the bus? The servants. That's where Elisha was. He was at the back. 11 teams of oxen were ahead of him, and he had the 12th. There's only 12 teams, and that's where he was. And he says he was plowing the 12th team when Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and walked away again. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, Go on back. But consider what I have done to you. Elisha re- then returned to his oxen, killed them, and used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the other plowmen, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Colossians 3:23 and 24 says this, Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Turn to the person next to you and say, I think we're going to become servants tonight. Some, go ahead and have a seat. Some of you as spouses are saying, man, I hope they do. <laughs> and I really pray that you brought your Bibles with, me, be, with you because... Um, There is going to be a lot of scriptures today, and I did this purposefully. This is the last test. But more importantly, you need to know what the Word of God says. You could hear me, and you could, you know, I could jump up and down and turn blue in the face, but it's the Word of God that is going to change your life. Not what I say, not what I do. It's the Word of God. And so I pray that if you don't have uh, a piece of paper that you'll borrow one from somebody because these are scriptures that you need to go back And you need to read and you need to let them sink down deep in your heart because these scriptures will transform your life. A servant, the servant test. A servant is defined as a person, a male or female, who works for somebody, someone who is useful or helpful for a particular purpose, someone who works as a servant. Now, there are a lot of people who really want to serve God but only when it's to their benefit many times servanthood has been mistaken for weakness there are some times we begin to think oh if they're a servant then they're weak they don't they're not a leader because a leader wouldn't be serving no it's the other way around a leader does serve when you're a leader, those of you who are head of your house, men, you're the head of your house, you should be the biggest servant in your house. The biggest servant. And, and I can tell you that because that was something that was my husband's goal. Because we would be sitting down and, you know, I'd, I'd serve him um, dinner and then we'd sit down and then all of a sudden, you know, you know what happens after you sit down? Like, oh, forgot this. Oh, I forgot that. And so I would be ready to get up, and he'd say, no, sit down. And I said, no, no, that's okay, I'll get it. He says, no, I'm the servant. What do you want? And I would look at him like, you know, in, in the beginning of our marriage, I would say, why did he do that? Why, why does he do that? Because in our society today, we, be, we would begin to think, man, that's weak. That's weak for a man to serve. But it's the other way around if you look at it biblically. That's what men are supposed to do. They are supposed to serve. The leader is the servant. In a world where almost everyone looks out for number one, even Christians are known to be too proud, to be humble. And so, as Christians, sometimes we can walk further and further away from being Christ like. We need to understand that servanthood is Christ like to the fullest extent to the fullest sense to serve is to be christ-like and that is our goal our goal in life is to become more christ-like not to become more like ourselves not to become more like somebody else it is to be more christ-like and so if we really want to be a depiction of our lord and savior jesus christ then we're going to have to take on this test of servanthood there are seven demands that are put upon a servant. Any servant, sometimes you see these rich, rich people and they have servants or they have nannies or whatever they have. But these are men and women who serve in a household. And there are seven demands that are required of a servant. The first demand that is required of a servant is the surrender of freedom. A servant has to surrender their freedom. In Luke 17 10, it says this, in the same way when you obey me, you should say we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. When we surrender our freedom, it means we're also surrendering the desire to want to take credit for what we do. Sometimes we want acknowledgement. We want a pat on the back and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, when somebody does a good job, oh, man, that's a great job, worship team. That's a great job you did over here. That's a, and we all want and even desire that pat on the back. But what happens when you don't get it? What happens when somebody doesn't say thank you? See, when you're a servant and you have that kind of an attitude, you don't even expect a thank you. You don't expect somebody to come back and tell you, oh, thank you. You did a great job. Because the Bible says you've only done your duty. That's what you're supposed to do without expecting a thank you. You've just done your duty. If you do something for someone and they fail to say thank you, what goes through your head? Well, that's the last time I'm going to do that for them. It's the last time I'm going to give them my seat. It's the last time I'm going to offer to do this. You know you think that. Sometimes you'll even say, I'll never do that for them again. Because look at what I did and I didn't even get a thank you. What if your leader doesn't thank you? Man, in your head you're going, they can't even say thank you. What kind of a leader are they? If your attitude changes because you don't get acknowledged, be careful. Your servant attitude is slipping. Secondly, the second demand of a servant is a surrender of time. In Luke 17, 7 and 8, it says, when a servant comes in, now listen to this. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal, put on your apron and serve me while I eat. Then you eat later. Ooh. How many of you like that? The Bible says that the servant has been out there all day long taking care of the sheep, taking care of the herd. You're all dirty, all musty, tired, hungry, but you're the servant and you come in and your master says, give me something to eat. And you're like, but but I'm all dirty, and I'm hungry, and I haven't eaten. And it's like, too bad. Put on your apron and make me something to eat. And after I eat, then you eat. I wonder what would happen to some of us in here. I wonder what kind of attitude. Would we have the, like Adam used to say, the Shaniqua attitude? Like, I don't think so. With the head and the hand and... That whole attitude? I don't think so. You don't talk to me like that. You don't expect me to do something like that. How do you feel when somebody asks you to do something and you're hungry and you're tired? We ask for children's workers, for security workers, for cooks, for the journey cafe, for media workers, and you know what we get? I'm tired. I've been working all day. All day long I've been working. I know I get off at 4 or 5, and I know that I just go home and kick it and put my feet up and watch TV. I know that, but I still have to eat. I've been working all day. Why should I do for you what I haven't done for myself? Do you know how you can tell if you have a servant's heart or a servant's attitude? This is the servant test this is for everybody do you know how you can tell if you have a servant's attitude or a servant's heart (coughs) excuse me when you get treated like a servant how do you act oh but i've been saved for 20 years Uh, can you pick that paper up where's the home get the home here let them pick up that paper let them do this oh uh, where's the women's home let them clean What happened to your servant attitude? What happened to your servant's heart? Sometimes we want other people to do what God is saying we need to do, but we don't want to do that because, oh, that's beneath us. I've been coming to this church for a whole year. I've been knowing Jesus for 25 years already. I can't do stuff like that. Why not? Your time is God's time. And as a parent, those of you who were parents when your children were small, did they understand what time was? I mean, you were gone all day. You had one or two or three kids, and they were all come, And you come home from work, and you're tired, and you're hungry, and they run to you because they what? they want time with you. Do they understand that you're hungry and tired? They have no idea. All they want is you. And you know what? If you are exhibiting a servant-like attitude, you'll push aside your tiredness. You'll push aside your hungriness. You'll push all that aside just to take time with your children. When your dogs or your cats come running to you you, well, maybe not a cat. Cats don't run to you. They'll just look at you and go, oh, you're home. Okay. But your dogs may run to you when you get home. What do you do? Do you say, I don't have time for you? Or do you kind of go down and give them a little scratch. You pay attention to them. Well, that's, this is the servant that's requesting time. Your time is God's time. When you're hungry, when you're tired, when you've been working all day and you're asked to do the duty of a servant, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I say that because there's a lot of times when we don't have our children's church workers show up. They just don't show up. And so there's times when we have some of our children's church overseers, they have to go and ask, can you work in children's church today? <laughs> I'm not dressed for children's church. What are they going to do, slobber all over me? I'm not dressed. Do you know that I just bought this? I don't, I, don't, I don't want this dirtied. I don't have time for that. I'm too tired. I need the word. And we give all of these excuses for not being a servant. Maybe we'll just put out a sign from now on. Gina, maybe you just need to put out a sign saying, servants needed in children's church today. And we'll see how many answer the call. Number three. It's getting quiet in here. The third demand. After freedom and after time, there is a third demand and that is a surrender to authority. A surrender to authority. In Luke chapter 7 verse 8. This is one of the centurions who was talking to Jesus. And he says this, I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or I come and they come, and if I say, slaves do this, they do it. This was a man who understood what it was like to be in authority. Now, that's a real hard attitude to be able to get, but when you're a servant, it's not difficult. When you're not a servant, you're like, and you're talking to me? Kind of an attitude, like, don't be talking to me like that. Don't use that tone of voice with me. And we get all, you know, belligerent and all upset. But if we have a servant attitude, your master can tell you, go and you go. Come and you come. Slave, do this. And you do it. This is what the Bible says. Coming under authority isn't easy. It's hard. It's, it's hard. It's hard for a lot of people to come under authority. Sometimes servants are asked to be on time, to sit where they don't want to sit. I know a lot of you wanted to sit out there, but you're asked to sit here. Some of you are like, oh, I don't like to sit here. I want to sit over there. Why can't they just let me sit where I want to sit? Because we're trying to get you to be a servant. We're asking you to be on time. Be on time for church, not 735, not 740, not 1015, not 1030, on time. Servants have to be on time. What happens when you're not on time and you're a servant? You're fired. I'll be like Donald Trump. You're all fired. Sometimes we may may not want to serve. We may not want to go where we're asked to go. But one of the attitudes of a servant is to learn how to come under authority, to learn how to say, okay, I don't don't always agree. I don't really like what my master is telling me to do. But you know what? I'm going to be a servant under authority. When you don't have a servant, oh, I'm sorry, when you have a servant attitude, it doesn't matter if you have a title. It doesn't matter if you have a position. Because servanthood doesn't know a title. Servanthood doesn't know a position. The Bible says that we're all slaves to Jesus, all of us. So not only do we have a surrender of authority, but fourth, we have a surrender of our ego. This is a tough one. In John 13, 4 and 5, we see Jesus. He got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped the towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples feet drying them with a towel he had around them around him see servants see a need and fill it jesus saw that his disciples feet were dirty nobody had washed their feet that was a tradition that was a custom because they used to all wear sandals they didn't wear closed shoes they didn't have socks they didn't have all of the things that we have now so they all wore sandals and they didn't have paved roads, they had dirt roads. So anytime someone went into a house, anytime, the servant would automatically sit them down and wash their feet. Wash their feet so that they could eat with clean feet and then they would also wash their hands. So they have clean feet and how many of you know how great it feels to have clean feet? Doesn't it feel good? When you've been out there all day long, just wash your feet and you'll feel so much better. If you never tried it, try it. It feels great. But what happened is that nobody saw the need and nobody filled it. And Jesus saw that and he filled it. Because those who have a servant's heart and those who have servant's eyes will find themselves compelled by love to serve in ways that are beyond, that, well, that nothing is going to be beneath you. Nothing is going to be too low for you to do. If Jesus could wrap a towel around him and begin to wash his disciples' feet, how much more should we be willing to do for each other? How much more should we be able to say, you know what, that's not beneath me, even if it comes to washing someone's feet? How many of you have washed feet? And I don't mean literally. I mean just been that kind of a servant to wash someone's feet. Wash someone's feet that may not even deserve it, but you did it anyway. Number five, the fifth demand for a servant is a surrender of personal desires. A surrender of personal desires in Matthew 26:39 the Bible says that Jesus walked on a little way then he knelt with his face to the ground and prayed, "My Father, if it is possible, don't make me suffer by having me drink from this cup, but do what you want and not what I want." We have to surrender our desires for God's desires. Obedience isn't easy, but I guarantee that it's worth the reward. If what you're doing right now with your life, think about what you're doing with your life, how you're spending your days, what kind of a job you're in. If what you're doing right now with your life is not going to make a difference in five years, stop doing it. Stop. You need to do things that are going to make a difference, things that are going to change not only your life but other people's lives. Don't just keep doing what you're doing just for the sake of doing it. Do something that is gonna be important, something that will be valuable five years from now, someone that will be valuable for your family, for your children, for your friends, for your loved ones, something that will automatically be able, you'll look back five years from now and say, you know what, I'm so glad that I took that direction because now look at the results. If what you're doing right now isn't going to matter in five years, to be honest, it probably doesn't even matter right now. It just doesn't matter. Number six. Not only do we have to surrender our desires, but now we have to surrender our personal goals. you got to understand we're talking about servant, personal goals. In Mark 10... 43 and 44, the Bible says, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Those of you who want to be a leader, the Bible says, you got to be a servant. You want to be first, you got to be a slave. God's kingdom is upside down. Jesus is saying here the highest position that you could reach is to be called a servant. Some of us, we want to be called pastor. We want to be called leader. We want to be called ministry overseer. We want to be called reverend. I don't know, whatever you want to be called. But the highest calling that Jesus said that we should shoot for is the title of being head servant. We should fight each other to serve. We should fight each other to be the best servant possible. We should, should want to be able to say, oh no, I'm not the leader here, I'm the servant. What do you need? Leaders are servants. And we should fight. Not literally fight, okay? But we should really desire to become a servant. Our greatest mission to the world today is to be a servant. Everywhere in the world, everybody, that that whole saying of dog eat dog, when you go to work, that's what you experience. You experience one guy trying to take over somebody else's job or one woman trying to take over somebody else's job. And that's what we struggle with every day. We struggle with that competitiveness inside of our jobs, inside of society, inside of the world. And the Bible says that when you're a servant, you'll win. You'll win. A servant-like attitude is more important than skill, more important than talents, more important than gifts. God can't use an egotistical person because ego gets in the way of servanthood. And number seven, the seventh demand for a servant is a surrender of resources. In Matthew 25, 16 to 18, it says, Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them another five talents. And likewise, he that had received two also gained another two. But he that received one went and dug in the earth and hid his Lord's money. In this parable, the master put the servant in charge of something. And each servant had a responsibility to reproduce whatever resources they had been given. Each of you has been given at least one gift. Some of you have been given two, some five, some more. But each of you have been given one gift. What are you doing with that one gift? Some of you are saying, "Well, I don't know what that gift is." You got to come to the get start class and you'll discover what your gift is because you have a responsibility to use that gift the gift that you have is not for you sometimes we get gifts on our birthday and those are for us but this gift that you have received from the holy spirit that's not for you that's for the body the bible says that the holy spirit has given you a gift to grow the body. So whatever your gift is, whether it's helps or whether it's evangelism or teaching or preaching or exhortation or there's like so many gifts. There's craftsmanship and, and uh, there's just all kinds. 27 gifts. Some people believe there's 34 gifts. But there is so many to choose from and you have one. You have at least one. Some of you have too, but what are you doing with your gift? Some of you, you got your gift. You don't even know you have a gift. So what you did is you got it, and you just kind of put it on the, on, the, on the shelf and say, oh, doesn't it look pretty? But you haven't even opened it. You haven't even used it. And God is saying, get that gift off the mantle, open it up, and begin to use it to grow the church so that you will be able to grow. You know, the greatest satisfaction that you have when you use your gift is that you have been able to be used for the building up of the body of Christ. That's the greatest feeling in the world, to be able to go to bed at night and say, I did what I was supposed to do today. I used my gift, and someone came to know the Lord. Someone was encouraged. Someone was deterred from leaving the Lord, and now they're going to serve Him. Someone wanted to go forward, and you begin to go over your day and say, I did what I was supposed to do. You need to be able to use your gift. Reproduce whatever God has given you. Reproduce even in your resources. And I'm just going to go off just this little bit right here because one of the things that I know is important in this day and age is that each and every one of us need to learn to live within our means. You may have lived on a different level two years ago. You may have lived in a different level even a year ago. But now things are getting hard and things are getting tough. And we each need to know what we need and the difference between what we want. We may want a whole lot of things, but what do we need? We need to be able to live on what we need and not what we want. Servants don't have the luxury of living above their means. Servants live in the way that God has called them to live. And this is the way that we need to learn how to live as servants. Live within our means. Make a budget and live within your means. Don't go over your budget. You can go under, but don't go over. Because as a servant, we're going to be held accountable to surrender our resources. Servanthood comes before honor. Joseph served Potiphar. Joshua served Moses. Samuel served Eli. David served Saul. Elisha, Elijah, Elisha served Elijah. I always get those two mixed up. Elisha served under Elijah. Timothy served Paul, and John Mark served Simon Peter. Sometimes we read these names in the Bible and we think, oh, look at where they got. Look at what they did. They did great exploits. They did, but they had to learn to come under. They had to learn how to develop a servant-like attitude. It doesn't happen overnight. There are certain things that are required of a servant. Some of you, you want to be able to do great things for God? Develop a servant attitude. Develop a servant attitude. I, I just want to give you 12 attitudes of a servant. And I'm not going to go really exposit them, but I am going to give you the attitude and the scripture to back it up. Amen? Amen? The first attitude of a servant is that an ad, a servant is teachable. Teachable. 3 John 1.9 says this, and, and this was uh, John. John is writing to the church. He says, I wrote to the church, but geotrophes likes to be the number one leader, and he won't pay any attention to us. Sometimes we have some geotrophies where they think they know everything. They've already been around long enough. But a servant is teachable. They're willing to learn. Secondly, a servant is submissive. In Matthew 26, 39, Jesus said, and he went forward a little and falling on his face, he said, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours. Submissive to whatever the Lord wants for your life. Third, a servant is patient. And I'm going through all of these because this is the last test. This is the hardest one, but it's the last one. A servant is patient. 2 Timothy 2.24 says, And God's servants must not be troublemakers. Yes. Let me say that again. And God's servants must not be troublemakers. If you're, getting, if you're causing trouble in your job, you're causing trouble at your house, you're causing trouble in the church, you're not being a servant. Because God's servants must not be troublemakers. They must be kind to everyone and they must be good Teachers and very patient. Very patient. Number four, an attitude of a servant is diligent. Diligent, which means that they stick with it all the way to the end. Matthew 24, 46 reads like this. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward, I assure you. The master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins to start oppressing the other servants, partying, getting drunk, well, the master will return unannounced and unexpected. He will tear the servant apart and banish him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A diligent servant is someone who completes the job. When you are given a responsibility, don't give up halfway. Don't just say, you know what, I'm not getting the satisfaction out of this that I want, so I'm giving it up. You stick with it all the way. You don't ever, and this has to do with your job at work, It has to do with any responsibility here at church. It has to do with everything that you do. When you're going to pass on into another position, you do not pass it on when you're down. You do not pass it on when it's a flop. You do not pass it on when it's empty. You pass it on when it's up here. Because if you look at all of the sports stars, when do they resign? If they're smart, they resign when they're up here. And they'll be known for leaving up here. How sad a sports star to resign when they're down here, when they've had a horrible, horrible year. And you walk away and everybody says, oh, man, he left because he couldn't couldn't cut it. A servant is diligent all the way to the end. Number five. The attitude is a servant is productive. Matthew 25, verse 29 and 30. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who are unfaithful, even what little they have will be taken away. You got a little? Multiply it. Whatever gift you have, multiply it. Multiply whatever God has given you, whether it's in your gifting, whether it's in your resources, whether it's in your finances, multiply it. Because that brings God honor. But when you don't do anything, and you just kind of sit here like a bump on the log, and you don't get involved, and you're, you're kind of like you hesitate, you come late, you leave early, Anybody who leaves early from now on, stare at them. I'm serious. Stare at them. Because nobody's supposed to leave the church service until it's a final amen. Anybody who leaves early, they're only leaving for their own personal advantage. Sometimes they just kind of hang out out there in the foyer. Stay in here. This is where the party is. Some of you, you knew how to party in the world. You didn't leave before the party was over. You were there till the end. I know I'm here till the end. I'm here until me and Will and and sometimes Toby, we're we're here till the lights go off. I was like that in the world. Why should I change now that I'm a Christian? Why should I leave before it's done? I'm here till the end. You got to be productive all the way to the end. Number six. A servant is loyal. Luke 16, 13 says this No man may be a servant to two masters, for he will hate one and love the other, or he will keep to the one and have no respect for the other. You cannot be servants of God and wealth. I touched on that during the offering. Some of you may say, Well, I'm not wealthy. I'm, I mean, I don't even have anything. I'm not wealthy, but where is your heart? Because sometimes we may not have anything, but we're not content with what we have. We want more. We want more. I want that house. I want, you know, I was Chucky and I, uh, Chucky Lopez. He went back to Africa um, yesterday, and um, and we were driving through. Oh gosh, I don't remember, but it was a. Oh, on the 13, when you drive on the 13, you ever see these big houses? And uh, we saw big house after big house after big house. And uh, and he just kind of, you know, turned to me and he goes, Pastor, do you ever want one of those? And I said, one of what? Because I didn't know what he was referring to. I go, one of what? He goes, one of those. And I go, that house? I said, no, not at all. What would I gain? What would I gain? I've already been there. Done that. Didn't gain me a thing. Didn't draw me closer to God. Didn't make me feel any better about myself. You can't serve God and serve wealth. you got to do one or the other. And for some of you, if you don't have anything, stop wanting. Stop wanting. Because The discontentment of your heart is what God sees, that you're not content. You need to learn to be content in whatever state you're in. If you ain't got nothing, oh, well, I ain't got it. But be happy. But if you're constantly wishing and hoping and, 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 you know, wanting, you're never going to be happy. You're never going to learn what it is to be content. I want to challenge you to learn how to be content with what you got. Even if what you got ain't that much, but you still got a lot compared to some third world. Number seven, <coughs> a servant has integrity. Galatians 1.10 says this, obviously, I'm not trying to be a people pleaser. No, I am trying to please God. If I were still trying to, be, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be Christ's servant. When you try to please people and you try to, you know, make sure that, hey, does everybody like me? You know, sometimes being a leader means that not everybody's going to like your decisions. As a dad, if you're the leader, or as a single mom, do your kids always like your decisions? It just comes with a territory. You can't please everybody. And you have to understand that you can't please everybody and still do, what you know God wants you to do. You have to have integrity. You can't can't go like this. "Hmm, I wonder which way the wind is blowing. Okay, I'll go with the majority. No, you go with Christ's mindset, not the majority. Because sometimes the majority will take you the wrong way. They'll take you over a cliff. But God's way is always the right way. Number eight, a servant is selfless. Selfless. Acts 20 verse 24 says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's all I want. To be selfless and to be able to finish my course. What God called me to do. What has God called you to do? Are you going to be able to say this, I finished my course, I did my race as a servant? Number nine, a servant is profitable. 1 Corinthians 9.19 says, For though I I may be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant to all. You're free. You are free. We sing that song. I'm free to love, I'm free to dance, I'm free to sing, I'm free to run, I'm free to do all that. But... Paul also says, because of the freedom, now you can be a servant. Yeah. You don't have to be afraid of what people are going to think about you. Oh, man, what is he doing that for? Oh, what is she doing that for? Oh, yeah. You know, you know how people think, oh, yeah, I, I know he's doing that because he just wants to score points. Or oh, I know she's doing that because she wants to score. Forget what people think. Forget what people say. Push that aside, and you be the servant that God wants you to be. Check your motives, but be sure that you do it with a servant-like attitude. Number 10, a servant is trustworthy. Revelation 17, 14 says, These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. Faithful in the Greek is pistos, which means trustworthy. They're a servant. They're trustworthy. Can you be trusted? Can you be trusted? I know that when I first got saved, I couldn't be trusted. I couldn't be trusted with information. I heard a lot. I lived with my pastors. I heard everything. I couldn't be trusted. It was like, it's just got to come out. I just got to tell somebody. I mean, did you know? And, 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 I, and I wanted to tell somebody because you know what? It made me feel good, because I got to be the one to tell. I wasn't trustworthy. I could not. I was not known as a person who could keep a secret. But I have learned. Now, many, many, many people have told me secrets. And you know what? I'll be darned if I remember them. I'm serious. That's the truth. You know why? Because you know what my prayer has been? Lord, let me forget. I don't want to remember, because I don't want to be tempted by the enemy to talk. So somebody may tell me, and they may pour out. And, and, and you may pour out your life and, you, and everything. But you know what? I will forget. You may have told me your deepest, darkest secret. And you may think, oh, she knows. I forget. I just forget. Anybody here forget? Some of you need to learn to forget. You know too much. You just know too much. You need to be a servant that is trustworthy with stuff. Number 11, a servant is focused. 1 Corinthians 7.35 says, And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare on you, but for that which is right, that you may attend on the Lord without distraction. A servant is focused. A servant does not get distracted to do this or do that. When you go to a dinner and they're serving you, doesn't it get you irritated when your waiter or waitress doesn't focus on your table? They're focusing, you know, have you ever been to a restaurant when their waiter or waitress is is busy talking at another table and you want your coffee and you want your water and you want your food and they're just talking and talking and talking and you're like, you know, you want to wave your hand or you want to say, excuse me, that is a, A servant who lost focus. Do you lose focus? Do you get distracted by things or people? And number 12, the last attitude of a servant is that a servant is prepared. Luke 12, 47 says, and a servant who knows what the master wants but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. For us to know what God wants us to do and for us not to do it, there is punishment. The last lesson that Christ taught us and taught his disciples before he went to Calvary was the lesson of being a servant. He used a towel and a pan of water to show who would be the greatest in his kingdom. We're going to be judged on how we serve. We're going to be judged on how we serve each other. Sometimes the hardest people to serve are the people that we live with. The hardest people to serve are the people that we work with. The hardest people to serve are the people that we sit next to. We're going to be judged on how we serve. God tests us to see if we have a servant's heart or if we want to be served. Some of you, you got to open up your gifts, they're still sitting in that box. Doesn't matter if you got hurt. Doesn't matter if you're not ready to use it. God gave it to you. Open it up. And these are the words that we want to hear from Christ. Matthew 25, 23 says this, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's a test for us. It's a real test for many of us. What we hear depends on what we do here. Will you be able to hear those words with the way you live your life right now? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Stand with me tonight. And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, This is the last test of every Christian. Go ahead and just bow your head because this is really a time where you really need to do some introspection. You really need to think about your life right now. You need to think about the demands of a servant and how you've done them. Have you surrendered your freedom or are you still wanting your own freedom? Have you surrendered your time? Are you willing to come under authority without bucking? Have you surrendered your ego, your personal desires, and your personal goals? Have you surrendered your resources? And now how's your attitude? Are you teachable? Are you submissive, patient? Are you loyal, selfless, a man or woman of integrity? Are you trustworthy? Are you focused? I don't know about you, but I want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. He's not going to say, well done, thou good and faithful pastor. Well done, thou good and faithful leader. Well done, thou good and faithful whatever. The key word that applies to all of us in this room is well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't know where you're at when it comes to servanthood. I know that I definitely need to grow more in my servanthood, and that's my challenge. And if you're here tonight and you're saying, you know, I I really need to grow in my servanthood, in my attitude, in how I serve, the way I serve, who I serve, and why I serve. You need to grow tonight in your test of servanthood. Then I'm going to open up the altars for you to come tonight. And ask the Lord to give you the strength and the wisdom to make right decisions. The altars are open for you. And not my will.